Hi, I'm your host, James Barrow, a creative turned marketing director with over 20 years' experience in the advertising industry. Join me as I go behind the scenes with a range of innovative thinkers. Hear what inspires them, their processes, and the methods to their madness. Find insights that can help unlock your creative potential and apply them in your life, career, and business. Right here on The B-Side with James Barrow. How can emotional resilience, community and compassion help in times of uncertainty? In episode 6 of the B-Side, In the House Sessions, I speak to Rebecca Yick, founder and CEO of Hatch and head of brand experience for Lucy from her home in Bali, Indonesia. Rebecca has spent over 20 years in creative and digital strategy, working across five countries including Australia, Canada, Singapore, Thailand and Bali. She spent the last 10 years working with an innovation team specialising in fintech disruption. Now in Bali, Rebecca runs her own company, Hatch, dedicated to founding and growing purpose-driven, sustainable businesses, and leads brand experience for Lucy, a fintech company that helps female entrepreneurs actualise their business ideas. Rebecca shares how she's coping with the COVID-19 lockdowns in Bali, how she's holding down a family while running a business and maintaining a good work-life balance as well. We talk about a whole host of topics. Beck is an incredibly inspiring, compassionate, yet take-no-prisoners type of person. We had a really honest, rich, and insightful conversation. It does get a little full-on, though, so buckle up. It's a fantastic discussion. I really hope you enjoy it. Cheers. I'd normally say boom when I introduce one of my guests, but, you know, that sounds like a bit of a cliche. What I really want to say is Rebecca Yick's in the house. Hello, <laughs> Chimichanga. I'm great. I'm great. I'm great. And it, actually, I really wanted to say your name, Chimichanga, because I'm sure you haven't heard that one for a while. I have not heard Chimichanga for some time. I was so pleased <laughs> to see you greet me by the name Chimichanga in my email request for you to pretty please be on this podcast because I think you'd be absolutely awesome. I'm so pumped to have you as my guest on episode six, I think it is. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I was very humbled to be even asked. So thank you. <laughs> For the listeners, Beck and I are good mates. We used to work together quite some time ago at IdeaWorks, which is a brand retail agency in Sydney, Australia. Uh, Beck was an absolute star. You know, I've covered all this in her bio anyway, so I won't, I won't bore you with the details. I'll let her talk because I've just got to <laughs> shut up and just get on with this thing, baby. <laughs> How are you? What's going on? I'm good. I'm good. So we're uh, um, these are your home pod- podcasts, right? These are from your. There's my my yeah. in the house session. In the house, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Are you in an, Are you in a house or a Balinese villa? Because you are in Bali, right? I mean. Yeah. So I'm 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 chatting from a. Uh, you would actually, I think it's technically a, a Javanese joglo. So these are traditional Javanese houses. Um, and I actually call my little office a treehouse because it's actually up a very steep flight of stairs that uh, if you had any knee problems, you would not be in my office. A very steep flight of stairs. Yes. How steep yeah. are we talking? Is it like climb a rope ladder? Yes. Um, <laughs> scale <laughs> scale Requi- the tree. Requiring hands and feet. To, or, or two oh, hands, really? two feet. Yeah. How do you manage that with the little one? She loves it. Kids love climbing, right? I mean. Kids love climbing. I actually have to. I have to close the little port so she can't get in on on uh, during meetings like this. But but the the I guess the advantage of having to climb up. I have these gorgeous views of rice paddies, oh, which that's is amazing. you know 
Yeah, yeah. So for me to work every day, beautiful view of rice paddies. I can see, you know, a few workers in there um, every day getting their hands dirty. Uh, I see a lot of construction though, um, but yeah, still get to see the beautiful. Oh, that's. I'm I'm envious. I have a little. <laughs> I've got some trees outside, sort of the tree <laughs> canopy. I'm not quite um, a, a rice paddy or a tree house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, that's quite interesting. It sounds like you're. Um, quite isolated in this idyllic not so much resort but you're in the thick of the I'm just picturing the jungles of Bali. yeah I'm I'm actually I am a little bit out of the I, I'm still in Changu which I guess is a bit of an expat hotspot but I'm definitely north side so um, and where I actually live is very much a, a local kind of village um, I used to previous to here I was in Uluwatu which is the jungle um, and at the time I was living there with um, not even an address, um, no road, and that was a real jungle. This is this I can get deliveries, which to me is Uber that, eats that's, anyone. <laughs> <laughs> that's civilization. Yeah, no, mate. Gojek here is the. It, it's one of the reasons I live here. Basically, what was it? Go. It, Gojek. So Gojek. Gojek. They can, Gojek. They will bring you, bring you anything, do anything for you. They will um, take in, like if you need, if you forgot your keys, they will go grab your keys. They're cheap, reliable. So if you've got a craving for some bubba gulling or something at yes. 1am at night, you can... <laughs> Call Gojek, baby. Gojek, yeah. baby. Given um, we're in this COVID-19 world of isolation and lockdowns, you must know a thing or two about um, working in isolation, <laughs> given you've been doing it for some time. Yeah, definitely. For me, this is kind of BAU. So I've been, I've been I guess, working remotely since uh, around 2015, uh, when I left Singapore. Um, so it, it definitely doesn't feel too much different for me. I guess the difference is I'm now unable to meet people, which mm. like taking, taking, away that, taking away that freedom is actually what I'm feeling. A lot of my team don't obviously live here, but I still like some of my core team would be in Bali and I could at least, you know, when, when you need to get things done, especially in the creative sense, being face-to-face -face with someone speeds up that tenfold. I've experienced that as well. I'm quite a... How do I put it? I, I'm, I, I hate to think I'm an extrovert, but I think I mm. really thrive on being with people. The nuances, the nuances that people sort of communicate or the things they don't say. And you can't really yes. get that when you're um, self-centering through... A, you know a techno technological wall you know because i think people tend to do that so my challenge has been and i'd love to talk to you about it, how do you break down those walls that i guess force us to self-censor and overthink things the energy the energy it takes to do a meeting over video conference versus in person is actually a lot more as well and that's probably because you are searching for those normally those nuances that you could pick up in person but you're then searching for them you know, in a 2D screen trying to kind of understand what people actually mean. And not only that, but, you know, even as we're speaking now, when you're in, when you're in person, you can kind of overlap a little bit as you speak. But mm. with technology, you're, you really do have to be mindful of, like, stopping and letting the other person speak. <laughs> Which I know I've interrupted you about four or five times already. But um, how am I going? Yeah. Is, is it yeah, no, very good, very good. No, very good. No, but that, that's what happens in meetings because you, you can imagine I'm in a Zoom meeting or, or, or Skype or whatever you want to do with four or five other people and in, a, in generally in a meeting room, 
those conversations can happen a lot quicker because you can overlap a little bit. But mm. on a Zoom meeting with this kind of what, like audio, the way it is, you, you're really having to be, um, I guess, a lot slower. Yeah, and it feels a bit odd, doesn't it? Like even doing this now, like we're having yeah. a great time. But I know and I'm very mindful. Talking about difficulty over digital is a, probably a nice little segue into talking about my partner who's actually stuck in the Amazon right now. Yes, I saw you posted this. I could not believe it. Yes. Like, talk to us about that. I mean, that <laughs> is something that not all of us can say we've experienced. Yeah, so it's an interesting one. So he left for the Amazon on around, I think, 2nd of March. So he finished off a job in Bali and actually decided uh, he's, he's well into studying um, Peruvian tribal medicines at the moment. Ayahuasca and stuff like that. Exactly. I don't. Some sometimes I don't want to say it because it's a, it is a, it is one of those controversial controversial no, no, things. I... But but give it yeah. If you want to put a, an actual name, it is ayahuasca. So he travelled to the Amazon to do some um, studying under a shaman there, and wow. uh, around yeah around I think fifteen of March they start like the this thing started to blow up, and I, and I have to say, when he left Bali, I had zero worry or concern that there was something like this was going to happen and I mean I've been in I've been in situations uh in Bangkok and where there's been terrorist attacks and I've still traveled and I've kind of I I have been I have been mindful especially now being a mother about Hmm. travel safety so I wholeheartedly was had zero concern about um him going over to the Amazon at, at this time anyway so fast forward to um the 15th of March uh, suddenly there seems to be obviously a lot more of this virus um, warnings, smarttraveller.com.au, whatever the government one is, they start to, started sending out do not travel. And the problem was before they did the do not travel, Peru actually did a border lockdown. So, and they wow. own, they own, yeah, so they only announced it with 24 hours notice. And this is why I guess in the media, in the, in the Australian media, um, there was a lot of trolling like, oh, you idiots, you know, why yeah. were you overseas? Um, didn't you listen to the warnings? You know, it's your fault. Good luck. Good luck to you. And I was, mm. you know, for me, it was really un-Australian. It was really yeah. to, to, oh, to, totally to read and hear some of that stuff. Yeah, so, uh, so Peru, with 24 hours notice, did a border lockdown. And, you know, for some people, that was enough time to get out of the country. But for... Mm. 400 odd Australians it wasn't so for Marcus he was actually in the probably the most remote place possible (laughs) (laughs) so the the jungles of Amazon so if you look at that so if you look at where he was he was um, 80 kilometers to the nearest town which is Akitos and Akitos is a two-hour flight to Lima it's always it's also been in the Amazon area it's also almost like an island it's you only can get out via a plane or unless you want to spend four days on the Amazon River, which is like slightly treacherous, um, so he's now he's now stranded. Um, um, this is going back to kind of mid mid March. Uh, yeah. So during this time, a lot of other nations um, basically got their governments together. They were sending private jets. Israel was spend was spending like millions of dollars, literally sending private jets to everywhere in the world, picking up their citizens. Um, you know, Russia, 
went in, even the UK went in, rescued all their citizens. And here was Australia, who I typically think is quite, uh, they're quite comp- a quite competitive nation, you know, sports, Olympics, whatever. Um, we're, we're waiting. Noth- we're hearing nothing. I'm mm. going, well, what, what is going on here? Now, for Marcus, not too much of an issue. He is a bit of a jungle man. He's going to survive. My, my concern was there were people that weren't in great situations. There were single mums with six-month-old babies, with two-year-old kids. There were elderly people. There were people that had medications, people that were oh, due yeah. for... Yeah, it, was, it wasn't a good thing. And, and as the time went on, um, you know, the locals were getting a bit more intense. So some people were pushed out of their Airbnbs. Um, you know, some people were running out of money and there was still no word from the Australian government. From within the group of Australians in Peru, they, they had a connection to a, to a um, travel company who, had, who then privately organised a commercial plane out of Peru. So on that plane, I believe, were about 260 Australians who paid up front for their tickets, yeah. so around $5,200 for their ticket out. And there was, there was a family of four who said, I'm sorry, but we cannot afford $22,000 to get our family home when we've just lost our air tickets. They also, there was also a frenzy of people trying to book tickets, so they were booking tickets. You know, the money was taken off their credit cards and then suddenly they're left with, like, like there was one fellow who spent $20,000... $20,000. The ticket on the commercial aeroplane was $5,200. Um, but before before this was offered, there, were, there was a frenzy of people booking tickets, trying to get home, and then the tickets would be cancelled, but then the dollars wouldn't go back into their account. Oh, so there God. were... Yeah, what so this was a real mess. Yes. So anyway... Fast forward, thankfully, there was some amazing MPs around, um, like uh, Senator Penny Wong, who really did well to lobby for trying to do something for these Australian people. So now we actually have great news. They are picking up the Australians in Peru. They've offered, but this is another commercial, I guess, another commercial um, initiative. So it is a pay per user. Mm. Um, but regardless, I think it's, uh, it's, it's priced moderately it's $2,250 per seat um Mm. and the unfortunate thing is they weren't offering any loans or any financial assistance so a lot of these but they they basically advise that you know if you don't have the money please reach out to friends and family we cannot help you really that's so yeah so that so that to me i was like well come on guys at least uh, there are a lot of other nations that were offering um yeah. offering like a loan just emergency loans look we'll pay for your ticket yeah. and then you'll have a like a hex debt or a one, one of those kind mm. of debts which is which is um you know low interest and all that other good stuff anyway it's happening just having someone stuck overseas is really really disconcerting mm. you know? and especially when you're not feeling as though you're getting the help from the government broadly we're no more egalitarian than any other culture on earth or race on earth yes you know and you would a lot of these brands a lot of these aussie brands they capitalize on this myth Qantas and so on you know i like these brands and no offense to Qantas and everyone else but you've got to start walking the walk and it's quite easy to go and help aussies in a western nation who are really quite easy to reach and bring back home and sing kumbaya about 
I want you to go out to Peru and pick up the ones that really need help, who are in the far-flung corners of the bloody earth, who are stuck. That's some brand purpose there, and that's living and applying your values as a brand, as an Aussie brand, you know. Look after Aussies where are, wherever they are. That's, that's my attitude. You know? So I do believe it is, it is actually like a LATAM Qantas plane that's going over, <laughs> but the, the amount of time that it took is just out, you know, and... So what's going to happen is he'll he'll get on this plane with the with the, um, I'm hoping the majority of people that can can afford it and I, it pains me to think that some people are going to be left there because they don't have a way of paying for this. Yeah. That really disappoints me. I think what's happened to the world is that we've become this user pay society. Let's just help them mm-hmm. and then yeah, after a while where they're at a point where they can start talking about um, how they can sort of cover the costs associated with helping them, then, yeah, when the, when the tone is right, when the time is right, sorry, otherwise it's yes. tone deaf. It's really, <laughs> really tone deaf. You know, it'd be like going into a restaurant saying, here's a bill and you haven't even bloody been served your food, you know. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. I look at Australia and I just think from the top down, we're not, we're not a country that serves by example or leads by example. Also look at the New Zealand um, Prime Minister Jacinta Ardern. You know, there's some beautiful stories about how she's leading by compassion, not compliance. Yeah. yeah. Which I thought was a beautiful way of looking at it. I think the world's got to shift towards that compassion first. Compassion should be what the focus is. And we, we just, in times like this, we need to really put things into perspective and look for the human solutions. But, you know, when it goes back to what we were saying before, if we've, as soon as we start establishing a, a user-pays society system, it'll get to a point where, you know, you've been robbed and you go, oh, excuse me, a police officer, can you come down and investigate this robbery at my house? They'll say, yep, that'll be $10, please. Fuck that. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah. No, it'll be $100 or $1,000, please. You know, like, seriously. It, it sounds ridiculous, but I do, I'm not even blinking at it because it's, <laughs> it's, it's, that, it's that truthful that it's not even scary anymore saying that mm. kind of stuff. Mm. And, and, and for me living in Bali, like, I'm, I, I see how society works here and it's really driven from the village, which I find such a... I guess not only from an emotional point of view and, and the, the, the support that families get here within their banjars is just a, a phenomenal way of, of how Bali, I believe, will survive this. Mm. Um, you know, from, from... And, like, talking about crime. So there is so little crime in Bali because mm. the, the, the local villages have so much power. They don't, they don't feed up to these ridiculous height of leadership they give people on the ground empowerment to control their own people Mm, which mm. for me works yeah so you know people uh, like there is if you went and stole something from somebody here you would be like you just wouldn't do it it just doesn't happen Mm. because the shame the shame on your family the shame on your banja and the shame on your village is so Mm. great yeah. yeah, that's the power of community, isn't it? Hey, we haven't even started talking about your background, <laughs> talking about Australians. <laughs> um, you're an Aussie. Um, talk to us about your background and um, where you're from, what you do, what's your backstory. Yeah. 
It's a licorice all sorts kind of background, definitely modern family styles. And actually I was going through this last night in preparation as as you do. And I actually thought, gee, am I going to sound like a potential for a serial killer? Because my background (laughs) is definitely a colorful one. And I guess, like, I, I, I guess I, to, 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 to go back, I'm, my father was um, Singaporean, born and raised in Singapore. Um, he left Singapore at a young, well, just after his army service and being a gay man, homosexual man in Singapore wasn't a good thing mm. at that time anyway. At the time, yeah, yeah. I'm sure some things have changed quite a bit. You know, my wife, as you know, is Singaporean as well. Yeah, uh, they still have national service though, so yeah. <laughs> which upsets a lot of young eighteen-year-old men. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and actually, I loved. I th- I think the Singapore national service is amazing, and mm. to to like for them, the the, the things they learn through that, the discipline, the health, oh, totally. all that kind of stuff yeah. is is I love. I I've definitely hats off to the, those guys. He got told to leave Singapore, but got he got a full scholarship to Harvard Medical School, so he was. Oh. Yeah. In, in a good traje- trajectory anyway. So he ended up um That's so typical of Singaporeans, that. right? They're, they're just... <laughs> like, you, you, they're the most... Per capita, the highest achievers in the world, I think. <laughs> it's just... I <laughs> I will never, ever match up to my father's achievements. Yeah. But, yeah, it, yeah, it's it's definitely... Yeah, it's a Singapore-wide kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, he, he ended up at Harvard. He um, And then from Harvard and, and the US, uh, which he stayed for a while... He got two offers, one to start a small um, surgery in New York City, and the other option was to go to a small country town called Western, um, Meriden in Western Australia, which is about four hour, three and a half, four hours outside of Perth. Um, and he actually chose to go to Meriden, never been to Australia, so ended up in this wheat belt town, and he actually he stayed there for over 25 years. So he was, he's one of the longest standing doctors in, in that area. He built the regional um, hospital there. He started the um, Chinese flying school out there, which um, actually fed into a lot of um, airlines after that. He, uh, you know, he, he was the um, local in, um, aerobics instructor. Oh, and and being and being a being a doctor out there, you know, you're not only just doing the your normal GP work, but he was the he was the he did um, general surgery and obstetrician um, wow. obstetrics, I should say. So delivered many many babies. babies. Um, I wow. get I get I get so many messages from people my age and older saying, "Oh, your dad delivered me," and I was just, yeah, it's quite oh, funny. that is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. he's probably the. <laughs> The chances are anyone within a 50-kilometre radius was delivered by your dad. Exactly. Isn't Very that amazing? Cool. So, so, um, so that was my father. He actually passed away in 2005 from lung cancer, um, mm. which was really unfortunate since because he was, you know, super healthy, aerobics instructor, um, you know, bodybuilder, all the rest of it, and, and mm. just happened to get lung cancer. Never smoked yeah. a cigarette in his life. Um, and we can kind of, we, we try to track it back, and it seems that it may have not been helped by working in a surgery with an asbestos roof for mm. quite mm. a long time. Um, so that was my dad. My mum is, my mum, I guess, is from the school, or she probably wrote the book of the School of Hard Knocks, so she um, was the youngest of uh, four. Her mother died in childbirth and 
she ended up in a, I guess, a orphanage at, at uh, a few years old, and you know from there she she well survived the orphanage. Went some pretty horrendous stories around the um, the because uh, I guess it was run by um, Catholic religion kind of ex all that all that disgusting thing mm-hmm. stuff mm-hmm. you hear in the news. I'm Absolutely. sure she was exposed to. Yeah. Um, anyway, so she she raised four children, my siblings. Um, she got her butcher trade at sixty five years old. She wow. she basically raised <laughs> wow. she raised four children on her own. So that's, to me, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. She's my absolute warrior. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and now she's recently um, fought and beat pancreatic cancer. So wow. um, yeah, so she she's she's definitely my hero in terms of. She's a straight shooter, street smart. Um, you know, doesn't suffer like as you said, doesn't suffer any fools, and that's I guess where where I got that from. Yeah, so she got her butcher's trade at sixty five. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? So she, yeah. she, so she, she works. Is she like yeah, you? She, is she into all sorts of things and just wakes up one morning and says, "You know what? What I really need to do, or at least try, is get my butcher's trade license and start my own butchery." <laughs> no, yeah. so so mum mum was always in the butcher trade, and that's actually where my my brother got it from as well. But um, she she didn't have her trade, but she oh, right. because she I was see. so old school, you mm. know, no one needed to have a certification mm. back then. Um, so she then she, so she decided to get her trade. But it's funny, like you know, here's my dad who's a surgeon, and here's my mum who was a butcher. So both I love that duality. In the, that's in the, the, in in the, the meat, meat trade. <laughs> <laughs> They've kind of joined. They've gone full circle. One, yeah, I guess one yeah. uh, stitches sentient primates back together. The other just butchers cows and so on. exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, so it's all the same. <laughs> no, and don't worry. I'm, a, I'm actually being in Bali. I'm probably ninety nine percent vegan here for all sorts mm. of reasons. But um, oh, yeah, sure. so I'm, I'm, so so shout out to the vegans. You can't out be there. living in Bali and suffering constant Bali belly. You know something's got to give. No, you. <laughs> no, exactly. Um, so that's so my obviously my my mum and dad were only together for a little bit uh, because my my dad actually liked dudes. How, how much did you know as a kid that your dad did didn't particularly like um, the ladies? Yeah, well, I get I I guess I grew up as it being normal. So here am I as a child, thinking, hey, my mum's got a boyfriend and so is my dad. Like, doesn't your doesn't your dad have a boyfriend too? Isn't it funny how kids adapt? Like, I only had two grandparents that I knew of, and I just assumed all children only had two grandparents. And I'd talk about my grandparents as if as though you only there's one you, set. There's only one set. I mean, <laughs> that's you know what I, mean? I love like, that. I love that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You just I adapt. Love that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I grew up. I, then I had a pretty colourful life. My mum, uh, my mum had some pretty terrible partners at the time, and I guess that I shaped my life as well in terms of to get quite real and raw here. But um, one of her partners actually had, had attempted to murder her, oh, and uh, that was in front of us. So, and my brother actually saved her life. Oh, so God. that was pretty, in- <laughs> pretty intense. So she got her throat and and wrist slit by this by this guy and my my brother saved her life and maybe ours by smashing him over the head with a wine bottle and we all we we got away and were able to kind of call the police and all the rest of it but um 
Yeah, I guess when you know you Jesus asked me the question about who are your heroes. Never that, that's, I was going to ask what's something that that um, people might not know about you. I think you've already. That's going to be pretty hard to top. I mean, I didn't yeah. know that. You haven't really mentioned that to me, and we've had no. conversations. Oh wow, Jesus, that is. It's intense. Yeah. So, but but yeah. you know, you talk about the people that inspire you, and mm. I, I find it hard to go outside my family because you know, from my brother oh. who who saved my life or saved our lives. From there, actually, it, it gets better. It, it, so my mum, due to her injuries, had to go into um, a long kind of long-term, like physio and all the rest of it, because oh, she, had, yeah. she, she had no feelings in her hands and, and, and her injuries were quite intense. Yeah. Yes, yes. So she actually then gave us to uh, a couple who she thought were some really good friends. So it was an older couple, a little bit religious, um, mm. but she had all confidence that they could look after us three kids fine in my family i've got two older sisters and one older brother but Mm. there are three fathers my sister and i are the youngest ones and that's from gay singapore dad and then Mm. my older sister and older brother come from different fathers sure sure. so three of us ended up with my my mother's friends while my mum was in rehab so she was doing physical rehab for quite a while when my mother kind of was getting more better and ready to take us back the uh, the people that took us decided they actually wanted to keep us, so they kidnapped us. Oh really? Oh my god! Oh my god! So yeah, so my mum lost contact contact with us. Um, didn't know yeah. where we were. Uh, they did weird stuff like they shaved our heads. Um, I remember being about. So I was I was between I think three and four years old. So I was pretty young and I don't remember too much other than being in this white room which had had a sink in the in in the room it was Jesus. a it was this bedroom and I I was just amazed that I had a sink in my bedroom I thought that was amazing <laughs> um but they but they but they weren't great they I, I they did you know treated my brother really badly like mm. they used to because he was actually an overweight kid they used to kind of make him, I remember, like, run behind the car and they wouldn't feed him. Mm. And uh, they also made us eat stuff, like, anything we didn't like to eat, that's what they would feed us. I don't know, mm. they, they, mm. they found, yeah. Anyway, so my mother then called my dad, who was, a, you know, my dad was kind of involved but at, a, at an arm's distance when we were young, um, mm. and then told my dad, said, look, you know, this is actually getting out of hand. They've taken mm. the kids. I don't know where they are. You know, mm. you, you, I'm still in hospital. You need to actually step in and do something here or I don't know what's going to happen. Mm, so, so my dad then hired a private investigator um, because the police weren't doing a very good job. And uh, anyway, but I remember my... So my dad was a flying doctor at the time. I remember him flying in basically punching this guy out and then all of us on and then all of us leaving in the plane with some bananas that's all i remember (laughs) that is is such a visit go dad yeah save the day so dad yeah yeah isn't that amazing well it's pretty hard to look outside your own family when you've got such heroic acts like that and such 
you talk about these as memories that shape who you are and your attitude. One word that, that really comes to mind when I think about what you guys have gone through is resilience. And you know, yes. even, even hearing you talk about it, you know, you talk about it in such a open and confident way. You know, that could break certain people if you didn't have that same resilience. Look at your family, and you guys are just, just amazing. And just to be able to come through the end of that with grace and confidence and strength and to be able to talk about it so openly and encourage others who may be going through some really tough times themselves that you know you can get through it as long as you you know you yeah and i think it, it it does i think it, it, it gives band you together. that resilience it band together and, and it gives you mm. that i guess like nothing there's not too much that phases me and and there's not mm. too much that i don't feel that i can get through including this time right now um, you know, and I guess from from my family, like my older sister, who you know, she she became the 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 I think Australia's first sheet metal trade worker. She has her own sheet metal company. Um, I feel that she got her, I guess, her confidence and resilience from my mother as well, and that kind of female empowerment, kind of don't suffer fool, as we're saying again. Mm. You know, my, my other sister, she's made more money buying and, and um, renovating homes with her own hands than I'll ever make in my entire life. Um, you know, we, we all get in there and just get yeah. it done. Yeah. Like, don't yeah. lollygag, don't talk about it, don't take pictures on Instagram and, and yeah. whatever. <laughs> you know what? Get and in there and f- do it. You know, struggle is a part of being human really is and and i think we live in a world where we this hedonistic kind of world of constantly chasing um good times and you know fun and you know no that sometimes shit things happen it's how we recover from them and how we sort of learn from them that really defines us so hats off to you and your family i think you guys are just outstanding Mm -hmm. honestly yeah no and i i i agree because the people that have been through you know a bit of tough times and and some you know intense dangerous times or whatever it is that kind of what does not kill you makes you stronger, makes you stronger. is really yeah. true yeah 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 and what are you, you know um, i feel that so go on sorry sorry to interrupt okay no and i just feel like people I think that's what I've done throughout my life is I've said yes to all the things that may have been a little bit un you know a bit scary um not comfortable etc but they have given me the greatest rewards mm, yeah where there's risk yeah. there's reward reward right? yes, yes. <laughs> so in terms of some of the uh, risks you're taking professionally what what um have you been up to and what's keeping you busy uh, I guess, uh, and that's uh, that's a great question because um, so currently I am working with a guy called Luke Jansen, who um, I actually worked with in Singapore um, with a company called Tiger Spike, and 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 funnily enough, I actually first um, met Luke um, way back in Sydney when we were working for IdeaWorks, um, which which the digital team then became VML under the, the uh, digital protege, um, Aidan right, Hepburn. Yeah. Um, I remember being in, in IdeaWorks and we kept losing these projects to this company called Tiger Spike. So we were big, you know, big YNR 
digital team and, and how come we're losing these projects to this, this digital team called uh, to Tiger Spike? So I went from Sydney um, working in agency over to client side working for Optus and then from Optus got sent to... You were in Optus to, for a while, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. quite a few years. And then, and then actually still under Optus but got sent to Singtel. Yeah, under, under Singtel to work with their innovation team. I went over to Singapore, stayed at your place at, um, down at uh, Robertson Key, and I was yes. making a film over there. It was yes. this uh, art project, yeah, a little film thing. That was probably the last time I saw you in person, actually. Um, yeah. no, that, that was 2013, that was I think, or two, yeah, yeah. 2013. No, that was, so I was working for Singtel then. Through, through that, I then actually touched base again with Luke, who um, had opened a... A um, office in Singapore, and at the time, I think they they'd had five offices, um, kind of UK, US, Australia. Um, that 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 opened up in um, uh, well, they had they had the Emirates clients, so they were working in um, uh, Dubai, and then they opened up Singapore and and Japan. And anyway, I ended up working for Luke in in the Singapore office as the head of strategy. It was a it was a great job. We we did some really cool stuff. We worked for a lot of like fintech stuff, so banks and insurance companies. But we also did some cool stuff for the United Nations, working mm. with the with the World Food Program there. So lots of I guess being in a kind of digital innovation team was was brilliant because mm. you were kind of the hot property. You know, all mm. these big corporations wanted you to come into their company and break down the barriers mm. Um, mm. and and come up with new stuff. So it was kind of it was um, Perth, Vancouver, Vancouver, Sydney, um, and then Sydney, Singapore. Sydney, Singapore. And when you went to Singapore, this is where I think you and I had a chat, and you were saying, "Yeah, it's just a little different." I was working in Optus in Sydney, and um, being a female, um, you know, high, semi high up in the digital team there. Um, you know, I was seen as a bit of a hero. I was very outspoken. You know, I had um, tattoos and wore bright colours, that kind of mm. thing. You know, mm. I was a, I was a, I was a mid twenties kind of. Um, I guess I, ha- I, I definitely had the confidence in me. And then I went to Singapore, um, and I, I was actually my, the purpose of of my role was to bring some cultural tra- change to Singtel, who recently did a massive restructure of their digital cha- teams right across Asia. Yeah, and um, I, I remember I remember um, walking the floor at, in, in Singtel, and here I am still kind of wearing my tattoos out and bright, colourful clothes, and, and the CEO of, um, of Singtel, who was actually a female, um, but... But she kind of immediately said, like, who is that? My boss, the, the head of um, the, the digital team, kind of said, like, hands off. She's, you know, she, yeah. the reason why she's in here is to change those attitudes and yeah, to bring yeah. kind of, yeah. So I, I guess, and but did I did struggle. Like a, yeah. I did struggle. I had, I had a um, very challenging boss who was mm. a micromanager. I, oh, I, I hadn't been hard. micromanaged yet. I hadn't been micromanaged since I was like 12, I guess. Mm. So um, I did struggle in that way, and and mm. I just did it, did it didn't feel right to me. Um, so I then uh, had an uh, I had a conversation with Luke. Actually, he he contacted me and said, oh, "Are you in are you in uh, Singapore?" And I said, "Yeah." And he said, "Do you want to?" Um, 
do you want to come over and work for Tiger Spike? And I was like, oh, man, I just, I went, I, I got out of agency land for good mm-hmm. reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, and he goes, well, this is kind of, I guess Tiger Spike was positioned not so much as an agency. They were, you know, positioning themselves as, I guess, the, a technology partner rather than kind of just, just like, I guess, acting as an agency. They really embedded themselves as, I guess, the technology and creative layer so I so I jumped ship and became strategy manager for Southeast Asia for uh, for Tiger Spike, um, and yeah, we did some some really fun projects. Just quickly, why did you get out of agency land? You skimmed over that. Why? Can you give me just in a nutshell what it was about the agency world that you thought this isn't for me? Yeah, I, for a female in agency land and digital, and it was it was funny because I was I was not even what was I thirty years old, and I was the old person in the digital mm. team, mm. and yeah. and although I I thrived on hard work, I mean our under Aiden Hepburn, I mean we all we all were working probably six days, twelve plus hours a day, um, but we loved it. And we won. We we were we were making headway. We went from a team of four to like fifty in six months by winning all these big presentations. And actually, that was probably the role where I where I really understood the power of presentation and storytelling, mm. because mm. we put so much work into, I guess, selling our passion and selling um, our teams the, the way that our team worked, which was honestly to we you know we would sell our soul to a client <laughs> and 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 do it happily if it, if it if it meant beautiful work i guess when i was offered a job with optus i was offered a role which was a lot less intense a lot more money um you know i i was i, I went to the macquarie park um campus where we were given a car park um, here's here's your locker room and here's your shower because I was riding my bike everywhere every day to work. Here's your shower and your locker room where you get showered and and um, and you know here's your big bonus at the end of the That's year fantastic, and, yeah. and a grown ups job. <laughs> yes, it's kind of what it feels exactly. like. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was nice, and and, and I, I absolutely loved working for Optus, and they were amazing. Um, and I actually and I had a a, a really top um, boss called Christopher there. Who again? And I think I've been lucky in my career because I've I've seemed to have fallen under bosses, except for in Singtel, I must say, under bosses who recognised my passion and and propelled me to roles even outside of their um, leadership because they knew I would do do good, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. do good. What does a good boss look like to you? I mean, you talked about not liking the idea of being micromanaged. Yeah. Well, not being micromanaged, literally. Is that one of the traits of a good boss? Someone who trusts you, gives you your autonomy and um, allows you to yeah, get and, I, and do things? And recognise how you respond. Like, I, I'm definitely a work with praise. Like, I do well with praise. And not, mm. I mean, not like mm. a puppy praise, but I, being told I'm doing the right thing or a good thing makes me work harder. And it doesn't have to be, you know, it doesn't have to be obvious, but I find bosses that, 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 that are willing to give you the constructive criticism but, always, or, but also willing to and praise you and, and highlight you. And, you know, uh, the, the kind of bosses that would, they would present their team as, as the, the team that won X rather yeah. than um, themselves. And that's, I guess, yeah, yeah. 
They're more concerned about actually, you know, giving kudos to the people that helped them Them, than themselves. It's interesting. It goes back to that analogy of people who... You, for example, you might be a designer and you may have started at, started out as a designer then decided you wanted to start your own design firm. And what a lot of these designers or people in advertising really feel is that they've, or what they really struggle with, I should say, is that they've got to stop doing the designing. Their role now is to run the business, you know, not to get in, muck in, get on the tools and do all that yourself. And it's the same as leadership. You know, you can't... Your role is to lead the team, and that's it, and that's what you're judged on. And, and, and their outputs is almost like how well uh, – their outputs are a symptom of how well you're leading them. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And I think yes. th- a lot of – well, you, you and I are both bosses, but a lot of bosses fail to realise that, you know, and that's where the micromanaging comes in because, you know, so they're sort of treating the symptoms and not the causes, and it's really interesting how – people fail to realize those fundamental things your job is yeah. to lead you know, and that's it yeah and as a leader yeah. you know recognizing the people that can get stuff done for you well you know like and and my um so luke my current boss uh well, i shouldn't call him a boss because he's actually my business partner now <laughs> he is my business partner um you know he recognizes the things that i can do well and he pushes me to do those things. What are and you so doing he, now? What is the, what's the business you're in now? Sorry, we're yeah, skipping so forward, aren't we? <laughs> no, 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 it's fine. It's good. It's good. So I'm currently working in Bali and I have my own company called Hatch. Um, it's actually incorporated in Singapore and I've just incorporated it in Indonesia as well, which was a, a mass. Yes. So Hatch um, or Hatch Bali, I should be um, more specific. Hatch was born out of all the work I've done all my life, which is taking an idea and making it more real. So I guess when I when I sell what I do, I always talk about, you know, an idea is worth nothing until it's executed and executed mm. to well. And that's I guess what I am. I'm an executor. So I take I take people's ideas and actually put put them in people's hands. So um, Hatch has done. Hatch has only been a, a, around for about two years, um, and the clients I've done are mostly all kind of women uh, leaders or li- women women run purpose driven businesses, and they're often women who have been the top of their game in in a corporate world, and they've decided that they actually want to do something with their side hustle, and their That's side fantastic. hustle is the one. Yeah. And the side hustle is often the passion project, right? So it's like so, a, an incubator hub or hatch, so to speak. Uh, yeah. A place where you can hatch your ideas and, and commercialise them. Correct. And I, so Luke, um, he sold Tiger Spike a couple of years ago and is currently in Bali um, sending his three kids to the green school. Have you heard of that one? Which one? Sorry, the, the green? The, you have to look this up. So the green school in Bali is this hot spot for, I guess, um, a lot of exited founders, um, celebrities. Check it out. It, it, it's, a, it's, it's a beautiful, beautifully run school that is all, like, I, I believe their mission or their vision is we are creating the, like, the leaders of tomorrow that will save the world. So it's all very sustainable-based, like, they're teaching them to raise chickens, um, you know, they're teaching them um, what, what, what sustainability is and, and, you know, they're sitting in these am- amazing bamboo, like the whole school is made of bamboo. 
the, the school itself is half about the kids and it's half about the parents because it is the craziest network of interesting people around the world. You've got Silicon yeah, yeah. Valley um, celebrities. You've got actual actor celebrities. You've got, you know, mm. people from... It's, it, it really is um, a, a, an interesting hotspot. Mm. The so raffles anyway, must so look, go off. They must raise like $50 million for you know, <laughs> school fate or something. Yes. Yeah, and it is, and, and it is exp- for, I mean, for Indonesia, right, it's expensive. Mm. It's probably the same cost of a, of a private school in Australia. In Australia. Um, yeah. yeah. So anyway, so Luke sends his three kids there and um, we, so he decided to, with his uh, cash that he got from the sale of um, Tiger Spike, he's got a sort of angel network that um, funds women-led um, sustainable or purpose-driven businesses. So it's we've got a great little, um, I guess, process because he identifies women or knows women that have these side hustles that potentially could make money and do good, and then he will run them through me. So um, often they will come to Bali, spend a week with me in a workshop. Uh, we would create their brand i'm more kind of i guess creative execution brand my luke is from the business end so he's all about what do the numbers say what is the market um can we get investors like he knows all that kind of stuff and then i've got i've got other creatives i've got a a writer um who you know ex new york agency writes like just beautiful copy uh, I've got a, a another creative. So I've got all these people that I put in a room and I'll often drag in other people that I know, um, mm. often people from the green school just because of their background. Mm. And and the key is, to, the key is to get them to Bali because in Bali you are out of your, out of your normal world mm. and you're in mm. this kind of, I guess, this, this, you know, it's the island of the gods. It's a magical place. It does have this energy around it that will inspire you. So... Get you into Bali, sit in a room with some trees around for, oh, for four or five fantastic. days. Yeah. Can I just go there <laughs> for a holiday? Yeah, I'd like to do exactly. that. That's my idea of a holiday. Sitting in a room in an idyllic location and just brainstorming and thinking about ideas and how we can actualize them through businesses or art pieces or installations or, you know, films or whatnot. I, I think that's fantastic just, yeah. just at that level. But to be able to help um, female leaders establish their businesses must be incredibly rewarding. What do you look for in these businesses and how do you help them tell and share their stories? The way we do it and the, the best ones we've done is we've peeled back the kind of surface intentions and get and 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 uncovered these heart intentions because often these ideas they're kind of they're more up in people's heads they've got this they've got this passion that they that they're obviously they've probably spent years thinking about but when they tell their story it comes from kind of I guess a very lackluster you know I would like to uh, you know, for instance, we we did one called Sasha's Farms, and and Sasha was um, she runs a a, a business in Singapore, um, an, an, a grocery store, right? And she finds and sources all the best foods from around the world and sells it in a Singapore, um, in the Singapore market. And she's gangbusters, like millions of dollars turnover. She's got four cold trucks that drive around Singapore twenty four seven. Anyway, she she so she what her passion was 
was actually listening to these small format farmers' stories and understanding these generational changes of like, you know, that they may have been like a trout farmer for five generations and now suddenly because of this mass market, um, you know, big corporate world, these little farmers are getting pushed out because their prices are too high, you know, and, and they're pushing towards farmed food and, and you know, adding adding chemicals and stuff to make things faster. So her passion was, was I guess, finding these farmers and supporting them in the Singapore market. Anyway, she came to came to Bali with me and she wanted to create her own farms in Bali. And we sat down in a room and we're like, what, what do you actually love doing? And she said, I love meeting these farmers and listening to their stories and taking their story to the world. And I said, well, why don't... Yeah, I said, why don't we do that? Why? Well, we can't. Luke and I and the group said, why? Why do you want your own farms? Why don't we support these other farmers and do that by giving them a brand? Because often these farmers, they don't have these little format farmers. They don't have lovely packaging and they don't have lovely sales assets to go sell their product and you know, to the world now where we're very, you know, visually driven, if something doesn't look nice on the shelf, we're often even, not even going to consider it. So we're giving, we're, mm, so we're giving, so we created a brand for Sasha's Farms and now we're white labelling all these small format farmers as, as a collaborative, I guess, um, product. And we would put, so for instance, we're now putting um, the first product we got to Singapore recently, which is kombucha. So we're, we've got, so we've created a beautiful label, put it in the Singapore market, sell it for a premium price and get the guy here. So that's know, Sasha's Farm. <laughs> Sasha's yeah, Farms. Sasha's Farms. Com- <laughs> Sasha's Farms Kombucha. Yeah. Kombucha. Yeah. I, I is it Kombucha? Yeah, kombucha. 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 Wow. Yeah, well, that's, that's actually just one of her many products in the pipeline. So she, again, she, she's finding and sourcing um, these amazing um, producers gener- who are doing it, doing it for generations and, and giving, them a, the, giving them a market to sell their product, giving them, A, a brand, so her brand, a premium brand, to then sell in the Singapore market and hopefully beyond the Singapore market, but to get them a fair price for their product, which is great. So that's just one. Um, and then from there, uh, I've worked with, uh, you know, management consultants. I've done a uh, – actually, the, one of them I was, was actually a, a, a male, but he was um, – his company, Market Psych, is actually creating a capital um, fund based on social media sentiment. So that uh-huh. was really interesting. Cause How does that he, work? He, so a capital fund based on social media sentiment. Can you unpack yes. that a bit for us? Because that's really cool. That's really cool. So he, his, I mean, he was writing algorithms, like his algorithm is 20 odd years old, like the, the big wigs, um, uh, geez, let me remember the name, Thomson Reuters, oh, yeah. Use, yeah, yeah. use his data um, for their social sentiment index. So uh, this is that like Cambridge Analytica sort of stuff. I mean, is it? Yes. Is it, yeah, this, yeah. this. I mean, this will get this your brain pre- going. Mm. Mm. So basically, he has he understands that all the murmurs in social media. So, but but not just social media. Sorry, it does go across um, 
traditional media platforms as well. So his algorithm reads traditional media, social media, and then understands the sentiment of that and then tracks that against um, like the Fortune 500s. And wow. you can literally see the, the I guess, relation, how close that relationship is. So he can actually predict ebbs and flows in, in market. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, on just social media, or the, so, the, media sentiment, I should say. I guess his, his do-good part was that the, um, the people working on this algorithm and the fund, part of the um, proceeds he wanted to then put in back into anger management. So helping people. So he, you know, flattening people's sharp reactions. Amazing. It's if you think of social media as just a digitized version of the sentiment of society at a current time, then it's almost. And if you think about how we as humans can read people's feelings just by looking at them, that's what you're kind of doing. You're just observing, um, observing yeah. the, the, the the general population's mood, right? Yeah. And and the beauty of all that is like the fact that he's working to actually make his algorithm unusable so he would rather that he didn't exist because i guess his his view is why is our sentiment moving markets like it's it's a it's all psycho you know yeah yeah. the value being how much it's improved the lives of people as opposed to how much it's lined the the pockets of shareholders you know and you must be confronted by this all the time Uh, how Mm. do you avoid that how do you sort of put the and you said it's heart first, right? You, mm. When you're looking at a business idea, you're saying, exactly. what are you really doing to benefit people first? What's the heart? What's the story? Because What's the- exactly. What, I mean, because that is, that's the thing that drives people and more and more consumers are looking for the heart. So mm. they're not going to buy it. That, you know, the, and even in exactly in today's, in today's environment, people are less likely to buy the brand now. They want to mm. buy the story, and they mm. want to understand: is the story is the story um, authentic, and is it actually doing good? And by me spending my money or making my choice to buy this product, am I contributing to humanity, mm. or am I damaging the earth? Australia has really. You talked about innovation, and I think Australia's had it pretty good for a long time, and a lot of our businesses have had it quite good, and I call this the the resort island approach to business. And I say that because traditionally we're quite an apathetic group of people, Aussies. It's that whole she'll be right, mate, sort of thing. And I think when businesses started coming out here, they were tr- they treated the population as though they were doing us a favour. And I've always found Aussies quite funny in that they'll thank people in business or service-based businesses in Australia as though they're, like, they're doing something that is absolutely unexpected. Like, and we're overly thanking them as though, wow, you're such a wonderful person. You've set up a business and you've charged me $80 for a thing that I can get overseas for 20 Oh, thank you so much. Wow. If I didn't have you here, I don't know what I'd do without you. And there's this weird sort of attitude we've developed 
you know, as Australians. It's both a combination of apathy as well as almost like that resort, just being used to that resort island-style pricing model that so many yes. retailers relied on, you know, where they were getting these ridiculous margins like you wouldn't believe. When the internet came along, people got far more informed and they realised, why the fuck am I paying three times as much for something here when I can get it and import it? on my own, not even bulk buy, just buy one item from overseas and get it here for cheaper, you know. So that's a real, very simple thing for us to get our heads around as far as who's it benefited. It may may not have benefited the retailers who hadn't moved fast Mm -hmm. enough, but it has benefited humans, people, you know, call them consumers if you want, but people who needed things um, at at a certain price point um, and to be able to deliver a certain value. This is exactly why my latest product product lives and that's called lucy so lucy is a i guess what you would call a neobank or will be a neobank and it is a i guess the consumer pitches it's a it's a uh, financial technology company built to help women who are overlooked underestimated and underbanked uh, become unstoppable by leveling the financial playing field that's fantastic. So, Talk to us yeah. about that because that's some really important, very powerful, powerful mm. stuff to, to be a part of. Lucy exists today because of three things that are happening. So we've got this one, this whole technology disruption that is highlighting that banks these days are ch- still still charging ridiculous amounts. And I'll, I'll use an example. So um, I'm in Bali. Um, it was recently my 40th birthday a few months ago. Thank God it happened uh, pre-COVID. Um, <laughs> That's I, great. Happy, I, birth, happy belated birthday. Thanks. So I, I, I paid for a hotel on my NAB credit card. And then I'm looking at the charge. I'm looking at the charge. I'm going, I'm going okay. So, it was a, I mean, it was a big, uh, you know, it was 40th birthday, splashed out a little bit. The charges were nearly over $100. Really? And I'm thinking, I'm thinking, now the charge of $100, that is half the wage of someone in Indonesia. And that was just a bank fee to, to pay for a hotel that was in Indonesia. And I'm thinking, okay... Where, I'd, like, I I totally understand if this was bricks and mortar and they had to, like, send carrier pigeons to do the cost and, mm. and then, mm. you know, five people had to work on it, then fine. But because of today's technology, that that did not cost them yeah. $100. Yeah. And that's lazy um, business. They, they've probably just gone, this is how we've done it for ages when we did have bricks and mortar. So their pricing model is is attached to an archaic system. Right. Instead of moving quickly and going, you know, marketing is really just about understanding your market. That's it. You know, and, and, and what they've done is they've just gone, that's a blatant way of saying, I have ignored the market for a very long time. We're still charging you what we would have charged in a, 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 a brick when we had to deliver physical services anyway. Yes, yes, no, exactly. So you've got, so you've got um, these, these big banks that are still behaving like they did 100 years ago and then you've got, um, you know, this massive shift of female empowerment. So if you look at, um, if you look at females and, and where we're sitting today, we're still way behind our counterparts. Like um, uh, Forbes did a recent study and they're looking at the investment into female-led um, startups versus male and females were at about not even 2 
billion dollars, whereas males were still at about $83 billion. Wow. So that's 40 times. You know, mm. you've, you've got... Um, You've got females are still uh, don't have as many bank accounts as men, and it's been mm. the same for about seven years still. So th- there's still a lot of catching up to do. So you've got technology enabling this great stuff to happen. You've got female empowerment, which is more and more being recognised and supported. And then the third thing you've got is impact investing is now profitable. Like it used to be the kind of, oh, yeah, we're going to, you know, do some impact investing and we don't mind if we lose millions of dollars and, you know, this this stuff is all my feel-good kind of, um, uh, my feel-good uh, investing kind of strategies. And now, mm-hmm. actually, it is making money and it, and yeah. more and more. And that shift, that, that hockey stick is happening where you can see um, these kind of socially conscious companies making money. Yeah. And but then obviously doing good things with their money. So you've got these three kind of areas where Lucy is kind of sitting right bang in the middle. Um, so Lucy, Lucy exists because three, three people. So Luke Jansen, again, my ex-boss from um, Tiger Spike. So his dream has always been to start a digital bank and give the fuck you to the big guys. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got Debbie What. Watkin, who she um, uh, led a company called Fern Software in Singapore, who basically provided the back end to a lot of these banks. So mm. she's been she's been working in technology for twenty five plus years. She's lived in twenty five odd c- countries. Wow. She's lived in the Congo. She's been at the front oh, face goodness. of all these kind of things. So she's she's also um, you know she's badass. I should say she lived in the Congo. She's lived in Cambodia. She's you know she's a what you'd call just a kick-ass female leader in tech. Mm. Um, so she, you know, she, she's kind of she's the CEO of Lucy at the moment. And then you've got um, Hal Bosher, who a Canadian guy um, who spent I think ten plus years working at the World Bank, and then um, moved his moved his life to uh, Myanmar and wow. started a little bank there which then became the fourth largest in the region um, and had 80% female account holders um, and had one of the best uh, loan repayment rates, as in, like, non-defaults. And he also started this very cool, I guess, e-banking system um, or e-money called Wave. So these three guys together provide this unbelievable powerhouse of fintech minds to support this project lucy um so we've able we've been able to secure our series a funding to get ourselves to a to a launch which is hopefully by the end of this year um and we're launching in singapore first at the pilot stage what lucy will be will first and foremost be trying to service female entrepreneurs so we're we're viewing female entrepreneurs as the super affluent so they could be a um, impact investor in Singapore that sure. has um, money that they want to 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 give to I guess um, impact uh, I guess sustainable female-led businesses, all the way down to um, a foreign domestic worker. So a foreign domestic worker in Singapore. Um, so they're often coming from a family, say from the Philippines or Myanmar or Indonesia. Mm they often have family-run businesses at home and they're in Singapore earning a wage to then feed back to their family. And what's happening is they're moving to Singapore. They're often um, 
they often get the job through an agent and unfortunately for the first typically for the first three months of their life in Bali all their money goes back to the agent so so there are really difficult situations where these foreign domestic workers are getting loans from loan sharks and getting themselves in all sorts of trouble so we're going to try and alleviate some of those issues Um, So, yeah, really exciting. And we've got lots of interest at the moment. And the fact that, you know, it sounds like it sounds like a simple idea, but it doesn't exist. For Tiger Spike, we were working for some of the big banks like UOB and not not to, you know, not to uh, slander them too much. But we were working on a project called UOB Ladies Card and Ladies Card, you know, had a had a picture of a shopping bag on the card and. And right. the rewards were, you know, getting free spa was it pink, treatments. Pink as well. Yes. You know, all these, why is it that every single female leadership uh, event or anything else, it's always got to be pink? I mean, why? That's just so stupid. Why? Why, why trivialise? So you know, it's just so <laughs> it's so dumb. You know, people people have even given us flack saying, "Why are you why are you doing a female only bank?" platform are you being feminist and it's because like, well, you have to because you have to someone's got to do something right because everyone exactly. else is just gonna yeah you know let, let cognitive bias kick in and you know all that stuff mm. it doesn't come from a place of malice it's just everyone's lazy no one thinks you know yes. it's, it's just yes. it's just no one wants to think it's a deep complicated thing to have to try and solve and people have got other things to do you know there's just no one thinks about it so who's going to do it you know yeah who's going to step exactly in? so and and we're you know to the point where look again if Lucy didn't have to exist in in ten fifteen fifty years great job done we You've would done be happy job, right? yeah, yeah exactly yeah no no we're we're getting there and I guess uh, at the moment what we're doing is we're looking for our Lucy founders so we're looking for those kick-ass women who are willing to be um, ambassadors and role models. Uh, for the Lucy for the Lucy community, so I'll definitely hit you up on uh, connecting me with some of your f- um, kick-ass female friends. Um, can I? And I'll ask you for the links and everything else at the end. But um, yeah. can, just while we're on it, can you tell me where we would go to to find out more about Lucy, uh, the project, uh, when it does launch? Yes. Yeah, so Lucy, again, because we're kind of in the pilot phase, um, we've only got it. I haven't, we're not expending any energy on the social media scene, um, but we do have a, but we do have a website. It's called welucy.com. Um, and there you'll be able to just see a little bit about our story and, and, and our call to action at the moment is to just simply, um, send us your email and we'll keep you guys in the loop. Um, you know, there's a lot, there's lots more happening, but right now we're concentrating on building a functional, um, pilot to then Mm. show, um, and, and look for our next round of funding. Well, good luck with it all. I think it's, it sounds like a fantastic initiative, a positive initiative and one that's necessary. Yeah. I, um... I just wanted to sort of ask you a few other things. A lot of this is incredibly reliant on you being present the whole time, and and it sounds like you've got quite a lot on your plate, but you're hand, handling it all with your usual grace and professionalism. How do you maintain a, a healthy work-life balance? Yeah, having a child, <laughs> because they teach you to stop and they teach you to be present, because that's, they, mm. they don't care about past and future, they care about now which yeah. is a really good reminder. Um, also being in Bali, like you're, you are running, I guess you usually run a household with a nanny. I have a nanny and a, yeah. and a pumbantu, yeah. a cleaner, and they come from really different kind of 
of families and cultures and actually being exposed to them and they're my they're now my family so my nanny oh, right. yeah. Yeah. Um, she's from a, a town called Singaraja in the top of uh, Bali um, and just understanding her life the way they behave as a family and what they you know they the, the, the Hindu the Balinese Hindu culture is just the most beautiful culture I've ever been exposed to yeah. in, in yeah. my in my whatever five countries I've ever lived in they you know the 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 karma they believe in the yeah, yeah. Um, the community the karma the spirituality the daily praying the offerings yeah. to the gods like it's just it's mm. next level yeah, spirituality has many forms obviously and and it, it's the Asian concept of karma that I think resonates for so many people and how there's this collective yet um, individual responsibility you have to take. So we can all collectively agree that as a community there's this um, responsibility for us all as individuals to decide our own fate you know, and, and remove suffering from our lives. And I feel like that's a really interesting dichotomy. It's like this: there's this individualist sort of um, yes. pursuit of spirituality, but it's embraced by the most collectivists, collectivist cultures in the world. Do you know, because mm. there, there's no man, sentient primate sitting on a cloud saying, you know, you do this, you do that. It's all up to you. And if you don't, if you don't do these fundamental things, which is essentially the golden rule, then it's on you, man. Do you know, it's totally on mm. you. You know, it's karma. You're just gonna, it's gonna come back. You know, and I yeah. love that. I really, it just makes so much sense to me. It yeah. really does. Yeah. You know, yeah. and you're watching these, you're watching these guys, um, you know, sitting in their in their um, barleys, and they're you know, folding these absolutely stunning banana leaf, pandan leaf um, batons, they call them, mm-hmm. um, and displaying them out on the streets during different kind of cultural celebrations. And I, I guess one of the things that really hit home for me is um, the other day driving down the street obviously this was pre-covid when there was more people on the street um (laughs) somebody must have died in the local community so Mm. this old lady died and to see the amount of people on the street dressed in these absolutely beautiful lace um yellow white flowers in their hair celebrating this lady's life Mm. um as as a as a village you know and i feel like in Australia, even my even watching my my father's partner of thirty years, he basically died in a nursing home with no mates, mm, and I'm like that yeah. that I'm seeing more and more like old mm. people being isolated, like not having that family that village behind yeah. them, and you know when they die, they're dying alone, which yeah, is like incredibly sad. Yeah. Mm. yeah, you can understand why vulnerable people, including the elderly, look to religion or spirituality to become part of the community. And if that's all it is, then I think go for it. I really do. I'm I'm more of an agnostic, not so much an atheist. I can't bring myself to be being an atheist. Yeah. I honestly do believe there's this force. I believe <laughs> yeah, there's something. this wonderful force that um, ebbs and flows through us all as beings. Um, but I think re- organised religion, if all it is, is a place to go to frequent with other people who are positive-minded, then I think that's great. And it gives people a, a sense of belonging and a community that I think a lot of people can't sort of um, access these days because we're all becoming far more hyper-individualised and living again in these silos, boxes and yeah. cities and silos and so on, especially in the Western world. Um, 
we're doing it online, which is great, but offline we are sort of siloed. And I and I don't I don't know I don't know what the answer to that is, right? Because I, I often sit there. I'll sit there in my you know I've got so much spare time. No, I don't. But um, <laughs> you know, thinking about how do you how would I bring some of these Hindu ideas to an Australian culture? You know, and I and I agree. Like, I would rather it not be religious because I think for the Western world, religion has just far too many negative uh, yeah, forces. Just, yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, these basic community things, um, and I and I actually believe in you know after this period, people will people will acknowledge and reach out for more more of a community feel. I think so too. Yeah, I think yeah. there's a renewed focus on the things that really matter. You know, yes. And that sort of forces you, times like this really force you to to look at what you truly value. And it's funny how going home, being with your family, it all comes back to that really, doesn't it? You know, it's, yeah. it's about the ones you love, your dearest f- friends and family. Obviously, yeah. they're the people that matter. You know, and unfortunately, you know, I think if anything comes out of this, I really want to make more of an effort to stop and reflect more about the things that matter and um, work mm. smarter so I can prioritise those things over all the nonsense we tend to get wrapped yeah. up in, you know, all the distractions. And actually, exactly, I think uh, one of the dads in Bali actually posted this wonderful, um, actually I'm working with him on Lucy, but posted this really great thing and actually calculated the time he's spending with his kids and then calculated against how much time that would have been in a normal world and saying that, you know, this time with my children is actually like one month with my children in today's world is probably a year of time I would normally get, you know, and that's yeah. what he's looking at, which, yeah. is, which is quite cool. I, and I, I hope people do that. I hope people look at this as an opportunity to invest in setting up really good foundations that, where they can connect with their family and re-establish whatever bonds they may have not so much damaged but neglected yep you know for some time i think now's the time to even for ourselves like i haven't had anything really to drink since november and i think it's the best thing i've ever done right and you know working you and i both worked in advertising it's so much part of the culture i think having a a pregnant wife and and a child gave me an opportunity to reflect on some of the decisions I've been making. And I'd never tried, ever since turning 18, I'd never tried to internally look at some of the things that I could fix. That was just part of my culture, just drinking. I was a bar attendant for three years, worked in advertising, it was just part of it. I'd never even tried not to drink, not to have um, a relationship (laughs) with alcohol. And uh, I haven't had anything to drink, and it's easy. It's really not that hard. People make it into this massive thing. It's like, mate, it's easy, just don't drink. Simple as that. You know, you just... (laughs) Do you know? And, and feel, unfortunately, feel your time nobody, something else. nobody wants to hear that, that it's easy. People want to hear that it's really hard. It's easy, but you just have to want it. Yeah. Simple mm-hmm. as that. And, you know, what have I done since? I've started a podcast. I've tried and failed multiple businesses in the span of, you know, a few months. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've finally settled on a podcast because I, I don't want it to be a business. I just want it to be a, an opportunity for me to talk to other people who really inspire me and, and um, yeah. you know very lucky to have the opportunity to do so with you you know how do you be creative block do you ever suffer yeah i i think i do and probably more not so much as a creative block i just get tired 
And that's mm. maybe because I, you know, you have a child, you have, I'm trying to mm. hold down a house, a job, all this kind of stuff. But yeah. I think what I do is take the time to listen to other people's stories, take the time to listen to podcasts, get inspired by getting outside yourself and listening to other people's perspectives. Mm. And it, you know, that, and then my other side is um, go to a really fucking hard workout and then yeah, team yeah. those two t- <laughs> yeah because you you, you, know, you are a passionate gym junkie aren't you i mean you always yes, find a yes. way to work out don't you yeah, yeah. I yeah always and remember. i'm suffering oh, i'm really? suffering oh man i can imagine what what's your workout of choice at the moment are you still running pounding the pavement what, what are you well i have so i've joined this um amazing gym run by this guy from ibiza called fetch in bali and he he has designed this way of working out it's 35 minutes it's in a small room and he dims down all the lights so it's virtually pitch black um and he just pumps the best tunes you've (laughs) ever heard well for me he has he has a very unique skill of selecting these tracks which then he stitches together into 35 minutes and i'm just i I, i'm 21 and on a dance floor i'm not working out (laughs) that is fantastic the best the best anyway so i was addicted Uh, to doing that probably four or five times a week um and now i'm kind of left to my own demise which is is my demise actually because i i am super bad with discipline in the house i'll get distracted and choose working over doing like a pilates online or something so i can't yeah yeah it's uh, tough you've got to yeah. sort of tear yourself away from it sometimes don't you yeah i'm yeah. the same actually i need that peer pressure in order to get me off my butt otherwise i'm yeah <laughs> i'll do and what are you doing like, for yeah for your martial arts like how, how are you uh, keeping that i've been at yeah I, I was going really well for a while but i just um stopped um when Jamie got heavily pregnant, I sort of stopped yes. going going to training. I still do a bit of a, you know, I've, I've lost a fair bit of weight because I've stopped drinking and I try and do some exercise at home. I have sort of a few martial arts style routines. Basically, I start my morning with a cutter and then I do some yes. push-ups or a few cutters actually. Um, and then I do a few push-ups and then for those that don't know, a cutter is like a set of um, movements, you know, that we practice. A pattern, yeah. A patterns, yes. And um, mm. uh, then I do some, uh, you know, just some exercise, leg swings, dynamic stretching, push-ups, sit-ups, squats. Um, and then I'll just do a bit of meditation. And that's basically what I try and do every morning. Um, I've been pretty slack of late, though. <laughs> so, what's your, um, are you, I'm also binge-watching Ozark and so on. Are you, <laughs> are See, you, I'm on season three at the watching? moment. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anything else you're uh, I, loving at the moment, books or TV programs when you've got the time? Living in Bali and being, and this is obviously a pro and con, I don't, I'm not actually exposed to much media here. Sure. And, and, yeah, and, and, and thing, it, right? it actually, it's very good. It's very good. But I do choose to keep up to date via SBS and ABC and I listen to a lot mm. of the podcasts and, and shows. Any free time, I tend to just consume podcasts. Again, I don't kind of stick to any which one. I love um, The Daily, um, New York Times. One that I like for this particular moment is The Corona Cast, which is by the ABC. I'll have to check check that one out. So that's just a 10-minute daily kind of review, uh, which is quite quite nice. I mean, I I guess I like to consume more opinion-based things. Yeah, so do I. The mainstream media hasn't quite got it right. Everyone Everyone needs to wear 
tribal colours, and that's what the mainstream media encourages. You know, you've got to be wearing blue or red, but you can't be wearing grey. You can't be sitting in that nuanced middle area where you're having these deep, rich discussions where you may agree with one part of someone's narrative, but you may not agree with the other part, and you might have to merge ideas and opinions together in order to come to a really smart solution. They don't want that. They want sound bites no. from that side. They want sound bites from the other side. And what I love about and extreme and extremes right and and, i don't want to wear blue or red wall paint i want to sit in that middle area and i want to hear the opinions of both and i want to pick the smartest ones and then form my own you know and that's that's my philosophy and i think that's why you and i and people like us like the long format of the podcast where you're hearing people like i'm i'm no university researcher but i work with them every day and i'm used to hearing really um conceptually rigorous thoughts and ideas and I kind of expect that from the media but you don't get it you got this guy who's like paid talent banging on about something he has no right to talk about and you've got this other one who's got blatant political agendas or, or corporate agendas banging on about something who has no right to talk about so that the quality of conversation isn't even worth having it's just nonsense no. it's just two people with two different agendas they're never never going to come to the middle and have that rigorous kind of debate or mm. you know brainstorm how we're going to come to solutions it's not about that it's just about playing the tribes off against each other it's like football yeah. it's football that's it that's and, 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 that's and they enjoy the become. drama football yeah, it is football. yeah it is a, it's a sport and it's drama and yeah. it's and it's you know pay pay for sensationalism and and stuff and i just yeah i agree like i i tend to and and this is you know and I believe by sitting in the middle and kind of un- trying to understand why and how and the smarts, you mm. do actually even get often you get you get pen- penalised for asking why. Yeah, totally. Oh, but why 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 are those numbers like that? And yeah. where do you get this from? And people go, "What do you mean? You know, this is what they said in this." My thing is, I'm just asking the question. No one's willing to though. People want the soundbite. They want it now. They want it to sound yeah. like a game show. Sideshow, yes. boom, bang, bing, boom, bing. You yeah. know, everything's <laughs> got to scream at you. You know, far out. Settle down. Oh, settle down. You know right? that. All, all you need to do is take a take. You know, scrape off all the headlines from the last, <laughs> I guess, you know, months um, media, and then stitch all those together and actually try and make sense of anything using headlines. You know, that's a yeah. Yeah, this is a really good example of a long format one. I think this is the longest one I've ever done. <laughs> I'm hoping I, I, no, I just, uh, there's so much stuff I want to keep. I'm going to have to. Okay. Would you be a regular guest? Will you come back? Sure, Will sure. You please come no, back? but I'm actually. I, I'm looking. I was looking at your uh, your podcast, and I'm going. I hope I sit in the kind of 45 minute kind of. Session. I think that's a nice sweet spot. That's a nice anyway. sweet. Well, they say it's thirty minutes. I don't really. I just look. I will, I will cut this down a little because it's nigh on an hour and a half to two hours. I think now <laughs> we will cut it down a little bit for listeners. But uh, this is so good. I really would like you to be a regular guest though, because I think there's so much we've got to come back to and follow up on. No, I, I, I will definitely. Right now, I would commit to that with no hesitation. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, you've heard it here, folks. We're going to have Rebecca Yick back on. But before you go, I ask all my guests to distill their philosophy, their thinking, and their purpose into a little bite of wisdom. And just think of it as a T-shirt. If, if you had to communicate in like, a, like sound bites, <laughs> if yeah. you had to communicate in tropes or sound bites, and you had to print it onto a T-shirt, what would yours say? 
Well, mine would be probably pretty easy. It would just be do good things. And that could be for yourself, for your family, for your job, for your welfare, for your neighbour's welfare. Just do good things. It reminds me of that, going back to Hinduism, it reminds me, I think this is more of a Buddhist um, thing. In life, if you can be good to people, do so. If you can't, just stay the fuck out of their way. (laughs) (laughs) No, so true. So true. (laughs) I think it's more like don't harm them, but anyway. (laughs) Hey, look... Beck, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. I am so pleased we were able to have this conversation. I think we've covered some really, really interesting territory and um, I can't wait to have you back on. I'm sure the listeners will feel the same. Thank you so much. I'm putting my hand together in the namaste thank you or greeting, uh, which is taken off yeah. apparently because people can't shake hands or anything. I know this is big and in Bali as well. Om Swastias too. Om Swastias too. Om Swastias too. Is that right? Yeah. Om yeah samas- it means kind of, I guess, good to you and your family and good health and everything. Oh, awesome. Thank you so yeah. much, Bear. Good to you yeah. and your family. Okay. I hope everything works out well. Please stay safe and, um, yeah, all the best. Okay. Cheers. That's Thanks, my baby Jimmy. again. <laughs> you can hear her, right? <laughs> yeah. See ya. Jimmy Chenga okay, is bye. out. <laughs> See ya. Bye. <laughs> If you'd like to find out more about me or the B-Side podcast, please visit jamesbside.com. That's one word, jamesbside.com. And you can follow me on Instagram at B-Side Podcast. If you have any suggestions or feedback on the show, please email me at hello at jamesbside.com. And don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. The B-Side with James Barrow is produced by me, and I really hope it's helped unlock your creative potential. Thanks for listening, and until next episode, cheers. Cheers.